Well, I've been on vacation this week, and when I came in, I was in the hallway, and Brad saw me, and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I don't know of any other church I'd rather go to than this one, so uh, it's my pleasure to present to you our speaker today. Our, our guest preacher is Dr. Fred Stone. Dr. Fred Stone and I have quite a few things in common when I begin to look at it. First of all, we both have a wife named Lisa. Uh, we both attended and graduated uh, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He left in 1982. I arrived in 1983. Uh, I didn't know until today, we both lived in the same apartment building at Southwestern. 4212, apartment A for me, 42, William Fleming Court, 4212 William Fleming Court, apartment H for him. Lived in the same apartment building. That's just crazy to me. I didn't realize that. Uh, and then the other thing that we all that we both have in common, we've both been president of South Carolina Baptist Convention. And through my work with South Carolina Baptist, I can tell you without hesitation that Dr. Fred Stone is one of the most respected pastors in the state of South Carolina. And so it's our honor and our privilege to welcome him today. He is also this. Uh, senior pastor, or has been senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Pickens, retired this past July after 25 years as their senior pastor. So would you give a good amount of your welcome today to Dr. Fred Stone. In the day in which we live, it's never been more important for Christians to remember that as uncertain as life is, as all the uncertainties we see on TV, in the news, in our own lives. There is one thing that we can be absolutely certain of, and that is that God is sovereignly and lovingly in control and guiding everything that happens in this, His universe, and our individual lives. I want you to turn, as you see on the screen there, Romans 8, verse 28 this is a promise from God's Word that we need to take to heart because it assures us we can be certain that God is in charge. God's in control. And He is working in this world, in our lives, according to His good purpose, His good plan. Let's read it together. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, the New International Version and the New American Standard Version make it crystal clear that the Word of God is not saying simply, well, all things work together for good. That is not true. Things don't just happen. Things don't just work. The NIV, look at this, very clear. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. New American Standard. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I want to help you remember this promise about God's in control. God is sovereign. God is lovingly working in our lives. I want to help you remember this by remembering two phrases that I'm going to guess are very familiar to most of you. God is great and God is good. 
How many of you, either as a child or you taught your child, to say a blessing, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food? Raise your hand if you're familiar with that. Most of you in this room, you know that. Well, that is not a childish way to think about God. That is a very theologically sound, appropriate way for us to think about who God is and how God works. God is great. God is sovereign. He is in control. And He is also good and gracious and merciful. He loves us in spite of the fact that so much of the time we're not very lovable. God is great. God is good. Let's look at it as we see it in Romans 8, 28. We're going to look very carefully at this verse. So keep your Bible open or it'll be, most of it will be on the screen. Let's look at it. God is great. Note in the verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The idea that in all things God works means that God is great, that God is sovereign, that God really is in control. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Our God is always on the throne. He is always in power. He never loses his authority. He never loses his grip on what's going on anywhere around us, including our own lives. God rules this universe and controls all things by either causing or allowing everything that occurs. And I want you to understand, that's true about your life right now. That's true about tragedy as well as the triumph. God is on the throne. God is ruling and reigning over this, His universe. And what I want you to understand is, I'm not stretching the truth here. I'm not taking this out of context. The consistent teaching of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that God is sovereign. God rules and God reigns. If God is not sovereign, He is not God. And there'd be no reason for us to be here this morning. I want to give you some examples from the Old and New Testament. First, look on the screen from the book of Job. Job said to God, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. In Isaiah, God declares, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Paul told the Ephesians that God works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now let's look back in Romans 8, 28. Paul is wanting us to understand that God is always in control of our lives. And I like the way the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible, describes this. Look at it. God weaves everything together. For the good of his children. Everything that happens around about us is not good. Some things are just wrong. They're evil. They're sinful. But nothing ever takes God by surprise. Nothing is beyond his control. We'll see a little bit later on. God can use evil for great good in this world and in our lives. 
a great example of someone who trusted in God's sovereign control of everything, including his life, was Confederate General Thomas Stonewall Jackson. Civil War historians tell us that soldiers marveled at how Jackson appeared so calm, so stable in battle. Bullets flying all around about him, cannon exploding, men dying close by. Jackson got that nickname because people, other soldiers, observed him and one cried out to try to rally his men on one occasion. There stands Jackson standing like a stone wall. Well, people wondered, how could he do this? And so they asked him. Jackson made this memorable statement. Look at it. He says, my religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that. But to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. That is the way all men should live. And then all would be equally brave. Jackson was a committed Christian who demonstrated, not just said, but demonstrated his confidence that God is truly in control, that God is sovereignly guiding everything, including his life and death. And that's one thing we need to let sink in this morning. You and I, I know most, everyone in this room, you're a professing Christian. You call God your heavenly father. Do you really trust him that he is God, that he is great, that he's in control, and that he is working in everything, outside your life and inside, according to his good purpose? Many years ago, I developed the conviction, I mean the conviction. God controls everything that happens in this world and my life. And listen, I have no doubt that God is going to accomplish His good purpose in this world and in my life. Now what we need to understand is, it's an eternal purpose. We don't see the whole picture today. We don't know all that what God is, we don't know all. Sometimes we know little about what God is doing when we just look at the circumstances of our life. But we've got to trust, as God's Word tells us, God's in control. God is great. And what we need to think as we enter this new year, you know, this is a time where a lot of people make, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions. A time when a lot of people uh, have goals. Do you have any goals for the new year? Well, I want to ask you, if you don't have, have this one. If you have some, add this. Put it at the top of the list. Ask God to help you to truly trust Him. Trust that He's in control, that He's sovereign. And live like it. Pray like it. You know, if you pray, that's, a, that's like saying, I believe God's in control. If you didn't think God was sovereign, that he's in control, why would you pray? 
So I'm saying, I'm thinking that you believe this intellectually. But does it show in the life, in your life? Does it show in your home the way that y'all deal with your difficulties? The surprises? The bad things? Make it your goal in 2022 that I am going to learn. I'm going to learn to rest on the fact that God is great, that He is sovereign, that He controls everything, and that He's always at work in my life, weaving everything together for good. And that's our next point. Look at this. God is good. Here's the focus of uh, this part of the verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who've been called according to his purpose. You know, when God works for our good, as Paul's talking about there, that's how God is demonstrating, one of the ways God demonstrates his love for us. How would you define the love of God? Think about it for a moment. How would you define it? I want to give you a definition that two well-respected Baptist theologians arrived at on their own, but it's the same definition. Wayne Grudem and Millard Erickson both define God's love, look on the screen, as God eternally giving of himself to others. Certainly there's, there is affection and emotion in God's love for us, just as our love for other people. But it's not just that. It's much more than that. This definition emphasizes that God's love is active. God's love is purposeful. He's working. God is always giving of himself to us, his children, for our good. Now I want you to think, isn't that how we as earthly parents love our children? You know, we're in church, so we're going to be honest. You don't always have warm, fuzzy feelings for your children, do you? Let's be honest. Don't lie. Boys and girls in this room, teenagers, there are times that your parents, they just don't like you because you're a jerk, because you're disobedient, because you're a smart aleck. But... Your parents love you, and they want what's best for you, and they do what they think is best for you. They try to meet your needs. That's what real love is. Love's not always a warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is sometimes, in spite of the feelings in spite of someone deserving it or not, when we really love somebody, we want what's best for them. We'll do what's best. We'll give of ourselves to try to meet their needs. Both God and godly parents love their children by always working for their children's ultimate good. And sometimes that means discipline. Sometimes that means we as God's children and our earthly children, sometimes they have to go through a time of suffering. Sometimes they have to go through painful experiences. 
And what I want us to understand is God is just as much at work in those difficult times as he is in the, what we would consider the good times. One of the best examples of that is found in the life of Joseph that we'll read about in Genesis. If you're not familiar with the book of Joseph, or the, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, I want to encourage you this week, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 37. Chapter 37 through chapter 50, with the exception of one chapter, it's all about the life of Joseph. I'm going to assume that most people in this room, you are familiar at least a little bit with Joseph. You know that he was the 11th of 12 brothers. And his 10 older brothers hated him, despised him. They were jealous of him. And on one occasion, everything just worked out right for the brothers to get rid of little brother, daddy's favorite, Joseph. They sold him, sold him to Egyptian slave traders who happened to be passing through. And Joseph's life, he was 17 years old, the scripture says, when that happened. For the next 13 years, his life was hell on earth. Joseph spent part of those 13 years as a slave in the house of an Egyptian official. He was falsely accused of a crime. He didn't commit it. But he was unjustly thrown into a prison. And so over a period of 13 years from the time he was 17 to 30, he was either a a slave or a prisoner. Now, the Bible is very clear that in all that time, Joseph did not become angry or bitter at God. Now, let's be real. Joseph's a man. He's not God. You know there were times as a slave, as a prisoner, when he would have loved to have those brothers and just choke them, beat them to death for the hell they were putting him through. They were responsible. But the Scripture never says that Joseph actually said or did anything like that. But what it does say, that in it all, Joseph trusted God that he was in control. Joseph remained faithful to God, and he was even faithful to his master and the warden of the prison. Well, by the grace of God, after 13 years of suffering, God placed Joseph in a place of authority, second in command over all Egypt. Something like prime minister. And at one point, a little bit later, after he became prime minister, he had the opportunity to get revenge on his brothers because they appeared before him. And to make a long story short, what I want you to think about is, Joseph didn't pay back his brothers. He didn't do anything evil to them. I want you to look at what Joseph said as to why he didn't pay them back. Look at this from Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph understood that all those years of suffering, God was at work. 
In fact, he even says here, God used the evil of his brothers to accomplish a good, a great purpose, loving purpose. He saved Joseph's family, which in time became the nation of Israel, which from a human perspective gave us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now think. God works in the life of each of his children, just like he did with Joseph, to bring about his good purpose. Your life may be hard. I, I, I don't like to hear pastors, teachers, anybody who's a Christian writer or whatnot, make false promises that if you just give your life to the Lord, Life will be so much easier. All your problems will go away. That is not true. And for many people, it's just the opposite. Life in this world can be hard for the most committed man or woman of God. For 13 years, it was hard for Joseph. Most of Paul's life as a Christian, he had what he called a thorn in his flesh that he begged God to remove, but God said no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power will be made known through your weakness. And I say all that to say, sometimes life is hard. As we go into this new year, if you're one who says this, stop. Don't go around saying life is not fair. Fair is where you go to ride rides to eat cotton candy. What we think of It's just an immature way of looking at life and semi-rebellion against God when we get our feelings hurt and get mad because things don't work out fairly for us. God's in control. He is working in those what we call unfair situations for a purpose that may hurt us, that may cost us. But we've got to trust Him that He knows what He's doing and that ultimately... He's going to bring about His good and eternal purpose. So what we need to learn here is we've got to, like Joseph, in the midst of our difficulties, we've got to learn to trust God. Not fight Him, not curse Him, not ignore Him, but trust Him and cooperate with Him as Joseph did, as Paul did, as we all must if we're going to be faithful. Now, very quickly, there are two important truths that we cannot overlook in this verse as we think about God working for our good. First, look at the, we'll look at the meaning of the word good. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Now, if you think about it, God brings about many good outcomes as He works in our lives. We could all probably have a list of how God has brought good from difficult circumstances in our lives. And that's true. But the ultimate good that God is working to bring about in your life and mine is actually stated in the very next verse, Romans 8, 29. Look at it. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. One thing we all have in common this morning, no matter how different we are, God's goal for each of us 
is that we become more like Jesus. And the idea is God works in all the, the situations of our lives to shape and mold our character to make us more like Jesus. When I think about the character of Jesus, I think of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the kind of character qualities that God wants us to develop as we go through the good times and the bad. That's how God wants us to learn to grow and respond and be through our difficult times. None of us have arrived. Keith can tell you, I got a long way to go. I want to tell you something. Don't measure your degree of spiritual maturity. Don't measure your likeness to Jesus when everything's going your way. And everybody's smiling at you and your children are obeying you. Your parents are giving you everything you want. Life's just good. Measure your character, your likeness to Christ when life is hard. When life's not going your way. That's where the real you come out, comes out. That's where the real me is seen. God tests us. And I'm ashamed of how many tests I have failed. But the good thing about our gracious, merciful God, He gives us second and third and fourth and billionth chances. It may be that you're in a state of rebellion right now. You don't like what God has done. And you've let Him know in certain ways. Attitude, words, or actions. It may be that the words you need to hear this morning is, you can have a fresh start in this new year by coming clean with the Lord. Confess your sin. In 1 John 1, 9, we're told, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's one of my favorite verses of Scripture, one of my favorite promises, that God will forgive me. He'll cleanse me. He'll give me a fresh start today, tomorrow if I need it, the next day if I need it. That may be, may be what you need to hear this morning. But I note the second important truth we must not miss. The recipients of God's working for good. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Of those who have been called according to His purpose. The promise of God's sovereign and loving guidance applies only to Christians. Only those to who, who have responded to God's call by putting their faith and trust in Jesus. If you are a child of God, I want to encourage you to thank Him right now. Thank God for the way that He worked in your life, maybe many years ago, maybe not too long ago, to get your attention, to help you understand that you didn't have it all figured out, to help you understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank God for calling you to faith in Jesus, if you're a Christian. It could be, and I hope this is true. But there are some people in this room and you're not a Christian. But God's got your attention this morning. He's opened your eyes to some things about yourself, about your sin. You're being separated from Him. If that's true, if God's calling you to Himself this morning, turn from your sin. Repent. Change your mind about the way you've been living. 
Put your trust in Jesus. That when he died on the cross, he died in your place as your substitute. To pay the penalty for your sins. Call upon him to save you now. And he will. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Surrender your life to him right now as your sovereign Lord. One of my favorite Christian writers is Jerry Bridges. He says that believing in God's sovereign, sovereignty and love is one of the keys to staying faithful to the Lord, to enduring in your faith, to finishing the race well. I want you to look at what he says. If you want to endure to the end, if you want to stand firm in the face of life's difficulties and pain, then you must have a firm belief in the sovereignty and the love of God. You must not only believe that God is in control of every event in His universe, and specifically every event in your own life, but that God, in exercising that control, does it from His infinite love for you. In the midst of all the uncertainties of this new year, you can be certain that God is great. God is sovereign. And He is sovereignly guiding all the events of your life. Trust Him. Trust your great God. And then, remember, God is good. He is lovingly working in all the events of your life according to His good purpose. His good purpose for you. So, love God. Don't just trust Him as some distant God. Love Him as your Heavenly Father. Your great and good Heavenly Father. I want us to close this morning by thinking we need to all draw close to the Lord right now by trusting, loving, and obeying Him. He is worthy because He is great and He is good. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to hear you clearly. Drive home the point, the emphasis. Drive it into our heart that you are great, you are sovereign, you are in control, and you can be trusted. But at the same time, dear God, help us to fully embrace that you are good you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you love us, your children, with an eternal love. So help us, Father, to love you and draw near to you. For some in this room, help them to confess their sin. For some in this room, dear God, help them to make a new, fresh commitment to trust you, to obey you to enjoy your love and your presence in their life. And Father, if there's anyone in this room who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, call them to turn from their sin and turn to Jesus in total trust and commitment. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.